how's work been? Uh, it's been really busy. Uh, we, uh, you know, COVID's, COVID's been a big distraction for the world lately, but probably a good one. You know, you got to take care of your your parents and your grandparents. But uh, uh, it has not stopped the level of interest in uh, in what we're doing. Uh, and also the level of need. In fact, it's probably bumped up a bit the level of need for finding sustainable and alternative solutions for the materials that we're using every day. Um, I like, so yeah, I feel, I feel like COVID has opened the doors for innovation and opened people's eyes for how broken supply chains are, and even drawn attention to things like labor laws and the plastics and the pollution and the recycling and the greenwash and all of it. It's pretty, it's pretty hard, you know, uh, maybe, maybe people spending some time at home for a little while has made them, you know, stop for a second and start thinking and start really thinking about what's going on in the, in the world. And, uh, you know, it's been a real evolution for me personally, uh, getting involved in, in uh, the plastics industry and uh, sustainable plastics and sustainable materials and also in hemp and learning uh, more and more about, you know, what's going on in the world and, and what we can do about it. So, I, uh, yeah, and I'm talking to a lot of people. Everybody's at home, of course. So everybody wants to meet everybody, and, and you don't have to get on a plane, and you don't have to you don't have to fly for like three days just to go and meet three people. It's, so that, that used to be so wasteful. So now you've got this kind of process where you're you're meeting people and getting to know them well before you go and meet them in person. And maybe that's a good thing. Maybe that's an, an enormous environmental benefit, but also just an economic benefit to the world in establishing new new ways and new methodologies to meet, greet, and get to know people and to get to trust people because business moves at the speed of trust. Um, so getting getting to go and do that before you actually have to go and meet them. Because I used to I used to spend all the time in the air and all the time at conferences that I, I felt were, you know largely not very effective and uh, it, you're far better off trying to establish and getting past that um, early stage in, in knowing people and then um, and then going and meeting them because frankly that that's still needed significantly needed for trust and for creativity I feel like there's a big piece that's lost in this type of communication however, it's taken the awkward or the unfamiliar out of this type of conversation, right? And so now it's almost like, well, everybody's doing it. And so it's not awkward to be, I mean, I hadn't even hosted a Zoom meeting before now. I hosted live events all the time and that was normal. That's where I played in my space and yeah. Yeah, I always found with video calls, it was like, how do I end them? How do we end this video call? It's kind of an awkward. Now we've all created the norm of how to end the video call. And it's not exactly like, okay, thanks everybody, goodbye. And so you have four or five of them a day and you get through it. Uh, good. But in the meantime, what that does, the, the, the magic of a video call as well, is that in an early stage of getting to know people who may be all over the world, I was just talking to a guy in Italy uh, about an hour ago, and it's great because they can see you, they know that you're a real person, and they can see the product that you're that you're talking about, and so you can you can really skip a whole bunch of steps in that whole getting to know you and the and the sales process. But sales is too unfamiliar. I think it's I think it's look the way I kind of look at our business is how do I create a relationship? And this is going to sound corny, but it's just the reality of it. My business is about recurring revenue streams. How do I, how do I create a dependable recurring revenue stream with customers? who are generally risk averse. And if I'm going to do that, then I need to be able to say, 
okay, I'm going to build a relationship with you. You can trust me yeah. for the next several years. And in exchange, I'm going to do everything in my power. And I'm, I won't always be successful, but I'm going to try and do everything I can to build that trust with you and to be able to supply you and be able to give you material and make sure that I'm telling you the truth and make sure that, you know, we're delivering what it is that you expect. And um, this is a great way to get that started because I can, yeah. I can show them, I can show them the products that, that can be made with our plastic and how we go about doing it. Okay. So we already have a question and I'd really real quick before we dive into a question or into really what you do, tell me a little bit about your company and, and what's your role there and where have you guys been compared to where you're going? Um, Absolutely. Uh, well, we're the hemp plastic company. We've been around for a couple of years now, but really we've been, our founder, Paul Benheim is a uh, hemp industry uh, entrepreneur and uh really kind of a visionary uh, in the space. He's been working on hemp plastic alternatives for about 25 years now. Uh, he also built a CBD company, a hemp food company. Uh, he's a farmer, he's written nine books. He's a, he's a uh, Paul's great, Paul's a, Paul's a machine, um, but he's also, he's like a nice machine. You know, it's kind of like one of these guys who's like, I'm really into what I'm, what I'm doing here and I really want to make a difference. And I think the hemp plant is amazing. And so he's, he's all in hemp. And um, Paul and I got to know each other, uh, uh, and I came on board uh, about a year ago, and we looked at this kind of, uh, there's kind of two major shifts happening in the world today. One is we're using an awful lot of plastic, and probably too much of it, but when you start thinking about all the packaging alternatives out there, you know, okay, so maybe it's plastic or aluminum or, or paper or wood, but it's still a lot of stuff. So how do we go about you know, taking a look at the hundreds of millions of tons of plastic we produce every year and behave better. And I think a lot of the world is looking at that and saying, especially young people, they're saying, okay, guys, we've got to change this. Uh, what do we do? And some of it's going to be behavioral, some of it's going to be regulatory, but a lot of it is going to be um, looking at sustainable alternatives and transitioning towards what is a very, very rapid growth industry, which is the bioplastics and sustainable plastics industry. Great. It's still minuscule compared to the size of the overall plastics industry. But what we're, what we're seeing and what I saw was a very definite shift of corporates and people and regulators and the like who are saying, no, we have to do something about this now and we have to, we have to start making this shift. And these shifts happen. I've been in a high growth industry my whole career. These shift ha shifts happening over decades, but I think this one's going to go a lot faster because, frankly, we can't wait decades. We must fix this uh, right away. Then you have, you know, the major shift towards hemp, uh, hemp growing and the deregulation of the hemp plant. So you've got this, you've got this cultural shift and regulatory shift happening in, in plastics and packaging and, and other plastics uses, and then you've got this uh, deregulation event happening in hemp. And hemp is largely, in my opinion, a disruptive technology in the agriculture space. It is something where it's an incredibly effective plant in a number of different avenues, whether it's hemp cream, hemp plastic, um, uh, hemp foods, hemp um, medicinal um, uh, things. Right. So it's, it's something that's going to disrupt a lot of industries. So I looked at it and I was talking to Paul and then, um, uh, we've uh, brought on a great team where we said, how, how do we capture that? But not how do we capture that in five to 10 years? How do we capture that today? Because the need is today. 
And so then we, get, we started looking at it and saying, okay, we need to be able to deliver a broad range of products. Are the products all, um, how do we get products that are reasonably priced, that, that provide a sustainable and meaningfully sustainable alternative to the existing plastics being used today in industries that use them in large volume. So it's gotta be at a reasonable price or a, 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 a inexpensive price, but have a lot of the properties that still exist for the, 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 uh, in the plastics that people are using today, using the same machinery that they're using today to make those items. And so we came across quite quickly, I think with, uh, with products that are available for sale today, they're available in volume. Um, we can get 30 to 40 million pounds of uh, manufacturing capacity. That's what we have available for use. So we can start making a dent in this very, very large industry. 30 to 40 million pounds is, is nothing in this industry, but it's, it's meaningful to us and it's meaningful to the world to get this started. And then we offer a whole bunch of products uh, or uh, five different products right now that can range from compostable products to non-compostable, but very CO2 beneficial uh, products um, for a variety of different markets. Um, what is it? What's, real quick, when you say compostable versus non-compostable, I think this mm -hmm. is something that's misunderstood, you know, kind of like the recycling. Um, same with ocean biodegradable versus biodegradable. What is the difference in, when you say compostable versus non-compostable? Well, I mean, some plastics, so you're going to have some plastics that are based on fossil fuel, uh, blended hemp blended with fossil fuel resins. So you still have the fossil fuel resin there. And what the hemp does is it'll displace um, a large amount of that fossil fuel resin in favor of hemp, which is, you know, Mother Nature's, one of Mother Nature's greatest uh, CO2 absorbers. And very easy to grow. Um, it absorbs a lot of CO2. Why not replace it, uh, replace the existing fossil fuel plastic with hemp in a beautiful uh, package? This is, this is made out of hemp plastic right here. Um, it's a beautiful package. You can color it, but it has largely the same properties of what you would normally find in, say, a hemp polypropylene, or sorry, in a polypropylene or a polyethylene or something like that. When you're mixing a blend of hemp plastic for to a, a fossil fuel plastic, you know, a poly polyethylene, polypropylene, yeah. whatever it may be, yeah. <laughs> um, is it still biodegradable or does it break down at all with, with the mixture? Or at what point does it have to be, you know, is it 50-50 or 75% hemp compared to, yeah, it's what's the... It depends on the base polymers that you're using. So some base polymers will be 100% bio, um, but they may still not be biodegradable. So what you do is you, you might take a sugar cane or another uh, plant sugar and convert that into a, a bioethylene, for instance. Uh, some of them will be like a polylactic acid. So a polylactic acid will be uh, compostable. It's commercially compostable, so it's compostable at certain temperatures and in the right uh, environment and then it can compost reasonably quickly. But some of them won't, and some of them, so if you wanna look at, say somebody absolutely needs to have a polypropylene. And remember, polypropylene is sold in hundreds of millions of pounds every year. Say they absolutely need a polypropylene. Uh, we might be able to say, okay, fine, if you're, if you're using 10, you know, 10,000, 50,000, 100,000 tons of polypropylene a year, why don't we convert you into a more sustainable polypropylene? which may be a hemp polypropylene, for instance. And that will, in our particular case, we take about a quarter of it out 
and we put it with, uh, with uh, CO2-absorbing hemp. It's a renewable resource. That hemp is quite possible, in our particular case, that hemp is quite possibly going to be burnt, put in landfill, because there's a large waste component to the existing uh, hemp industry and the various different components of the hemp industry at the moment. So we need to be using that material, uh, address that waste issue, uh, and frankly, uh, sequester CO2 while we're at it. So people can have this kind of, uh, they can partially fix. Look, there, there's no magic bullet for this. We're talking about 350 million tons. How do we, how do we fix a good sized portion of it? And then down the road, when we find the unicorn, which is a fully compostable um, uh, plastic that can be used for any application, but is cheap as fossil fuel plastics, um, <clears throat> has an unlimited shelf life until you don't want it anymore. Um, okay, yeah, sure, that, that, that will be great. But we have to act now to start fixing the problem now. And that's why we've taken this kind of ranged approach, depending on what people need in terms of the, the particulars of the particular application that they have. Okay, so what's one of the questions was biodegradable rate of hemp plastics. Do you know that? I know you've got a whole team of experts, but I don't know if you know the answer to that question. It really depends on the base resins that you're using. And we haven't done the biodegradable test, biodegradability testing on all the different plastics uh, that, that can be made with hemp. So I need to be careful on, on how I answer this. But in some cases, if you have a biodegradable base resin that we blend with our hemp, it's going to biodegrade roughly at the same rate as that base resin because hemp is naturally biodegradable. Um, if you blend it with uh, um, a compostable material or, uh, or, or another material that is, is, takes longer to biodegrade, then um, it's going to take the, generally the same amount of time that the base material is going to, be, going to take in order to biodegrade. So for us, it's not all about biodegradable, although biodegradability is important, and that's why we offer products like that. Um, but we also are saying CO2 is important. Um, renewable resource is important. Instead of using natural gas, we could be using a plant that essentially grows like a weed. How do we, how do we, um, you know, how do we fix or adjust or make better half a billion pounds of plastic? Really, how do, how do we go about doing that? And it's, it's, uh, it's gonna be a blend of a bunch of different solutions that work for different industries with different uh, end market requirements. Well, I think you, I had somebody on yesterday that said the exact same thing. This plastics market and industry is humongous and the amount of work that needs to be done is more than anyone. I mean, where do you start? But take one piece where you can make an impact. And what I didn't realize is hemp plastics uh, sequester CO2. I didn't. Yeah, hemp is a particularly uh, great plant for absorbing carbon dioxide. Yeah. And so uh, depending on which report you read, uh, one ton of uh, hemp stock will absorb about 1.6 to 1.8 tons of carbon dioxide. So it's a, if you think about it, if you think about what a plastic is doing, like if I, if I can take out some polypropylene, let's say um, in four tons, I like to use four tons because we run around 25% hemp. If I have four tons of, of, a, of, a, of a fossil fuel plastic and I take one full ton out, not only am I removing the CO2 component of the, the one I'm taking out, but I'm actually sequestering 1.6 to 1.8 tons of CO2 for every ton I take out because I'm putting hemp in there. 
And particularly if people are planning to landfill or burn or whatever that hemp, that releases the CO2 back in the atmosphere that's been you know, uh, captured by that hemp. So we try to, we're trying to say, look, why don't, why don't we take that you know, great natural event, which is the CO2 absorption caused by growing hemp and find a way to deal with it and, and, and address it instead of just letting it go right back into the atmosphere. Yeah, that's incredible. So then what, I guess when you're burning the plastic or the plastic waste, when it's hemp, it's, it's not releasing that back into the earth, you're saying? Well, if you, uh, um, it really depends on how you dispose of that. Uh, but, you know, for instance, in CBD, in CBD, you create an enormous amount of waste uh, because you're really only using the top six inches of the plant, the flower component, and then you're extracting CBD out of that and, and, and hemp oil. And so you end up with a very large amount of waste relative to the material that you created. And then the, the question is, okay, how do I dispose of this? How do I do it? And I get calls all the time with, hey, I've got millions of pounds yeah. of this hemp waste, and i got to decide what I'm going to do with it. Some people can bury it. Uh, some people can burn it, or you can put it in landfill. It really depends on what's going on. And I say to, I say to them, look, let's, let's displace existing fossil fuel plastics in particular markets that doesn't apply to every market, but particular markets might be very, very good, and, and we can use that hemp. And then, then we're trying to then we're trying to say, okay, let's let's not be as much of a waste uh, uh, a waste culture as as we uh, as we've been in the past. Yeah. So I I love this idea. Can you talk to me a little bit about what what types of products are are common? I, I guess for me, when I talk to people about hemp, they still are often at the level of. Um, assuming that I'm smoking or that we're taking CBD, they have right. now. I mean, the idea of hemp plastics is is still a dream or still just a thought for some people, and it's hard to comprehend, right? I hear a lot of times, you know, automobiles. Um, what are some big? I get a request for cell phone cases made out of hemp. You know, large manufacturing companies for cell phone cases. What are some other big things that you're seeing? I see some of the items behind you that you've got. And are they based on different like textures or I don't know how plastics are graded or ran. Um, it's not just a one size fits all, like you said. You know, one of the beautiful things about the plastics industry uh, is that you, you need to be in it for a long time to, to even fathom how many uses plastic has. Uh, and uh, I, I'm always, I just, I just, love being in this business because the way we've approached it is we've said, look, we're going to, we're going to uh, um, supply resin to park manufacturers. So molders um, or products groups or uh, appliance companies or automobile parts companies or automobile companies or whatever it may be, but we're going to supply the resin to them. And the, one of the reasons why we did that is it's, we try not to, Presume we know what the best application that this this plastic is going to be for because we offer a range Some of ours are more expensive than others. Some of them have more tensile strength. Some of them are more uh, uh, Impact resistant. Uh, it really depends what it is and then you end up uh, You get a number of calls. So we get a lot of incoming calls for um, Things from furniture to auto parts to appliance parts to to uh, toys to uh, Gosh, I mean, uh, it just uh, um, uh, personal yeah. computer parts. 
it's it's just there's just a list. I mean, we've got we've got dozens and dozens of companies looking at different things. Um, pack, consumer packaging is a big one. Um, uh, uh, things like uh, the cannabis industry is is a big one, but certainly not something we need to depend on. Uh, we've got um, uh, you know camping camping equipment, uh, all kinds of different things that are going to get made. And and to be honest, like um, I, I I can't think of them all. Uh, and they, and they come in, and so we're we're in a good position where we just kind of. I used to be in another business. It was a high growth business as well um, in the semi space, and we said, look, we don't. Maybe this isn't good anymore. Maybe I'm old, but um, we don't we don't supply the the uh, the the guns. We supply the bullets. So we essentially say, you guys do what you need to do with our plastic. And we'll supply you the plastic, and we can do that in volume. And we're going to try and do it as cheaply as possible. We're going to get to market very quickly, so that we can fix the problem very quickly, but also be able to say, look, you know, we are going to be the low-cost leader in this space, and um, we really, really support our customers. If they come to us with an idea, um, we say, great. I don't want your idea. I want to sell you plastic. How do how do I help you help your part of the industry? Um, clothing has been one, um, components to clothing, um, even just electronics, uh, circuit board material, uh, lots of different locations. Yeah. Like honestly, you can't, you can't think about architectural furniture, um, you know, um, lots of different stuff. And I have to be careful. I can't give away some of our, uh, the neat ideas that our customers are coming up with. So I'm, I'm kind of being a little bit broad, but uh, lots, lots of cool stuff coming down the pipe. I want to talk about a really cool idea. We were yesterday talking about how to impact, you know, make the biggest impact on the plastic side, whether it's the plastic bags or the bottles or whatever it is. You know, we're getting ready to deliver how many thousands, millions and millions of vaccines with a little plastic cap right on top that they pop off. Yep. That in hemp. I want to, I and I genuinely want to pursue this. So putting it out there, if anyone else beats me to it, good, let's do this. <laughs> but I, I, yes, I think, you know, yesterday I was thinking very seriously that we have hundreds and millions, millions and millions of vaccines going out. You know, that's an example of something where they just, it, it can, it may just be a fairly simple design solution. And I say to them, Look, if you want to, we could, we may be able to supply you a a, a fully compostable plastic, but in the in the uh, you know the absence of time, because there's a great big urgency to get the product to market, I say, well, maybe we can maybe we can at least do something and take 25% of the the fossil fuel out of that decision, and uh, and supplant it with hemp and try to make some form of a difference. Um, so again, that's a perfect example of application. In that particular case, we need we need to get that material to market fast. So if we want to get it to market fast, maybe we find a, a simple transition plastic as opposed to. But it really depends on on what it is that you're trying to do. Right. And right. We're, open, we're open to talking to them. So whoever's making those things, give us a call. We'll try and we'll try and see if we can supply you something that is a little more sustainable. Yeah. You know, it may just be something that I will loop in on some conversation because. We talk about fixing the plane while it's flying and addressing the pandemic at the same time. I think that this is a, I mean, or even you look at in the medical space, the syringes, the needles that are being used to put the 
I mean, that's a huge impact that we can immediately make that we, and we can address head on, so. Well, and, and so lots of people come to us with bags, bottles, yeah. uh, I, I, and, and things like that. But we also need to take a step back. <clears throat> I was in a conference last January. That was back when we could still travel. <laughs> yeah. I was at a conference and I was on a panel and I looked at all of the seats in front of me uh, and uh, and they were all made out of this white polypropylene plastic. And I was like, that shouldn't be, right? right? Don't just don't accept that. Don't accept it. Accept something that's a little bit better or a lot better. If we can make it a lot better, let's go for it. But if we can't make it a lot better because the chairs will break, then fine. Make it more, make it somewhat better, but make something happen here. Let's take action to make things happen today because frankly, our kids and our grandkids, and, and people have been saying our kids and our grandkids for 20 years, but today it's real, guys. This is 350 million tons of plastic every year. In, in three years, that's a billion. That's a lot. And, and it's, not, it's not stopping. I don't think people realize that the recycling problem has been offloaded for years to other countries and it's no longer happened you know, that we can't do that anymore. And so now, I mean, it, we're about to see the effects and feel the effects. I think that this is where there's been a big disconnect. And I'd love to chat about this, Glenn, is where do you see the disconnect and what happened? You know, why, why hasn't this been something that people are paying attention to? Well, we do live in a, you know, a, well, first of all, gosh, how do I answer that one? Um, there's probably someone who's done some real uh, social science studies uh, can speak better to that. But when I look at it, I think about, I've been around uh, for for a few decades. Uh, when I look at it, there's there's always been plenty, right? There's plenty of space. There's plenty of, of capacity for garbage. Now, now this disposal economy, uh, the cost of disposal of the materials that we use has never really been thoroughly part um, of the purchase price of that material. The cost of disposal has been free. And I, I don't think we can do that anymore. I think we've got to take a look at it and say, you know, when I'm making a purchasing decision of something uh, that involves not just plastic, just any packaging or any uh, thing, uh, I, uh, we've got to start thinking, you know, the, the other day, uh, I'm going to tell you a crazy story, but um, the other day, my ice maker broke on my, on my fridge. Oh my God, that's a third world, uh, first world problem, right? So, I mean, ooh, my ice breaker, like, shut down the whole household, right? Just, it's all over. And so I'm like, okay, I'd call the home warranty company. Hey, you know, I need to get my ice maker. Well, we can't get the parts for three months, so let's buy a new fridge. And I'm like, no, I don't want to buy a new fridge. That, that's wrong. I have to dispose of a bloody fridge here. And that's a lot of materials. And anytime you look at a, at a fridge or any other consumer grid that you buy, something rock had to move for that. Uh, you know, animals had to be fed, whatever it may be. Things had to be moved. There was a lot of energy and a lot of the, the planet that went into making that thing. We need to repair things. We need to use less disposable things. We, have to, we need a cultural change. And part of the cultural change is making decisions based on the material that we're buying. 
and they need to be made for sustainability. Less of yeah. this disposal, you know, like you said, it's, I, I go back, this was an aha moment for me and call it a first world problem because it definitely yeah. is. When this pandemic happened, I went shopping for motorhomes and campers. And yeah. I was so taken back by how cheaply and poorly made they are nowadays. And because uh -huh. they're light and they can be hauled and they're really nice, but they fall apart. It's like pressed paper, you know, and it's pressed paper if it gets wet. And then it's waste fast, right? And so I just, I'm, we need to reverse and go back, right? Back to more sustainable. And I think it is. It's everything has been so, nothing has, I haven't been responsible for my own waste. I drop it in a bin and it disappears out of sight, out of mind. Right. Well, right. And that, and that's, you know, culturally, that's what we've become used to. And I, I look, I'll be the first to admit, I haven't been a boy scout in my whole life. I feel like it's time for me to make some redemption for some of the behavior I did 20 years ago or 10 years ago. I'm like, okay, I, I, I use disposable diapers. I probably shouldn't have, that was probably bad, but you know what? Uh, those, <laughs> those are hard years, but that, but that's not the that's not the point. The point is, is if you can do something, you should. Mm -hmm. And uh, sometimes I think it's a design design decision. And if it's a design decision, we need to do that. Sometimes it's a behavior decision, uh, and or a repair decision. My parents, my parents were a perfect example of this. Uh, they were born in the '30s. They didn't even have plastic when they were teenagers, uh, and uh, they they still have all the stuff they had 40 years ago. Um, and they repair things and they don't like to consume. Like, uh, so they're, you know, I kind of feel like, Hey, you know, maybe we need to take a look at our grandparents, uh, and say what, what they did because, and when they did it, it wasn't, it was just because things were more expensive and they were difficult to make and, and the like, we've made it extremely cheap to produce a whole bunch of things that we just simply dispose of because it's easier than trying to maintain things. And I, I, maybe that's that's part of it. So design decisions, uh, reuse, um, taking care of the things we already own might be. Maybe that's something that we all need to be thinking about and doing more, so that our grandkids aren't cleaning up our mess. I think that it has been uh, maybe under discussed or. There's been a lack of education at the expense of the convenience that we've become accustomed to. And when I say expense, not just to the earth, but to the people, right? You look at like the laboring laws, the labor laws and human trafficking that's, be, you know, really come to surface recently. Yeah. And again, another aha moment for somebody said one time, well, why should I care if you wear a hemp shirt versus a cotton shirt that's imported? You know, I can go to the dollar store and buy it for a dollar, a shirt for a dollar. Well, think about who makes your shirt for a dollar. It's not, it's not cut and sew by a machine that there's a human being working on those clothes and sending them over. And so, you know, those types of things were really brought to light by the pandemic or for me um, and really revealed a time of innovation and a time where people really are paying attention to a more sustainable lifestyle, to, you know, supply chains that are successful and sustainable within a community instead of globally. Um, yeah, and I think that those are those are key things that are brought to and so huge opportunity right now to make make a difference. How do people get in touch with you, Glenn, if they want to? 
Oh, just go to www.hempplastic.com, um, info at hempplastic.com. Uh, we get many inquiries, so if it takes, it takes a day or two to get back to you, I do apologize in advance, but we, we try to respond very quickly uh, and we try to help people uh, make a difference. Um, now, one thing I should be really clear on at the moment, we don't, we don't design people's products for them. We don't, we don't make the products they're trying to get brought to market. I get a lot of people saying, Hey, look, I got this idea for this widget and I don't know how many I'm going to make and I don't really know how to make it. And I don't, and, and that, that's, uh, you know, I love you all. Um, but that's, we don't do that. Um, what we try to do is we try to sell the, the sustainable polymers to the molders who are going to help you. So if you have an opportunity or you have a great idea or something like that, call a local molder and say, look, I want to make this and I want to make it out of sustainable materials and I want to make it out of hemp plastic. And then the molder will call us and, and say, hey, I've got a client who wants to make it out of hemp plastic. And I say, great, how can I help? And not only that, but do you have other clients that also want that? Because I want to help you become more sustainable as a business. And it's not just, this isn't just economics. It's not just growing a business. It's, it's really, I'm trying to make a difference. And if I can make a difference by shifting some of the behavior of some of the, the customers we've got out there. We have, we have molders that are way ahead of the pack. They're like, yeah, this is coming. We see it coming. I want to get in front of this because we know the demand is going to be there. And I, I personally agree with them. And I, and I support them like they're my, you know, uh, like my brother or my sister. But uh, if, you know, so get in contact with us. We'll try and do our best to put you in touch with the right people. Uh, we, uh, we typically focus on injection molded applications. So maybe not the shampoo bottle, but we can do the cap at the moment. As we get further along in our product development, we're going to offer different polymers for different applications. Um, we don't do plastic bags, thin plastic bags uh, at the moment. Uh, so, uh, you know, we get a lot of requests for those kinds of things. We're looking at, you know, parts, injection molded parts. We're talking about multi-billion pound markets. Uh, and how do we go about transferring, transforming some of those with low cost, sustainable plastics that allow people to make a difference? Okay, so I, again, am really uneducated about this plastics industry, and I thought there was just one type of plastic that was used for everything originally. Um, when you say injected molding, what are some, you say parts, what are, I, I go to car parts that are metal, what other parts, like mouse, a keyboard, that type yeah. of? Mouse, keyboard. Uh computers like frames the look i got a post office scale that's sitting on, on my credenza over here i mean this thing should be hemp plastic okay. um okay. Be hemp plastic jars um bowls uh this is this is something called roll sheet material so you can buy these eight by eight sheets of plastic uh that are um that can be made out of hemp plastic and by the way we can make it in all kinds of different colors some of these you know, that's black, so you don't get to see the speckles that much when it's black. But it gives you, a, this This gives you a rough idea of the various different colors that we can make it in. But I mean, take a look at our website, www.hempplastic.com. In the customer section, you'll see some of the innovative things that our customers are doing. And we have more things coming down the pipe. It's just, we can't release them before our customers do. So uh, we want them to, you know, we're here to support them. And then as soon as they're ready, we'll start putting up their, uh, uh, their products onto our site uh, because we love them. 
and uh, we take care of our customers. So that that's an example of, I love this white color with the speckles, it looks awesome. So okay. don't get I want some samples of those. How do I get samples if I want to show people? Um, can we get little, yeah, splotches or squares to show different types? Absolutely, I'll send it to you. No okay. problem. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Okay, so moving the industry forward, what do you think we need? Where, where do you think we really need to come together as a community to make this difference? Obviously, utilizing it, but what about the education piece? Where do you think education falls in this? Yeah, I mean, I was going to say, you know, where does this need to go? It's kind of like um, you kind of need a pretty big mental shift. And a, uh, I, I don't need a big mental and industrial shift to achieve my very small objectives, which are, you know, how do I, how do I in my little world make as much of an impact as I think reasonably possible in the short term? And then at, after that, we'll get much, much larger and we'll do it in a variety of different ways that we currently are not doing today. So I'm, I'm, I'm fine with that. But I think as a, as a, as a society, yes. I think we really need to get a very good understanding. We have to educate and we have to educate old, young and, uh, and uh, middle aged people as well on you know, this disposal society that you can still drink water out of glasses and then you wash this as opposed to bottles uh so there's 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 something about consumption uh, adjusting consumption there's people uh, telling people what you, you know what is going on in the plastics industry and plastic don't get me wrong plastic's an amazing thing yeah it can be formed to all kinds of different things it's extremely inexpensive uh it is uh there's, it, it can be strong, it can be flexible, it can be, there's a variety of different components to it that make it an incredible material. And that's why we use so much of it. It's incredible. But how do we go about adjusting our behavior and adjusting our uh, social infrastructure so that maybe we use a little bit less for things that we really don't need to use it for? Um, maybe we uh, find a way to make a, uh, more, more of the material that we use biodegradable uh, or compostable or recyclable or at least sustainable. So you, at least you've got a carbon sink going on. We have a lot of environmental issues that we have to address, whether it's pollution, garbage, microplastics, ocean plastics, um, health, but CO2, uh, landfills. Uh, you go to some developing countries, um, it's mind blowing what's going on in their landfills. Uh, and so there's, there's, real, there's a real need to address it kind of a holistically our consumption culture and how we go about adjusting that. What do you mean? Touch on the landfills. Educate me a little bit about what's happening in other countries and their landfills. Well, um, I'm, I'm not a professional on landfills, but I, I have done my own basic research on, you know, some of the largest landfills in the world, yeah. uh, whether it's outside of uh, Seoul, Korea, uh, the ones in India. Um, the fact that we're burning a lot of our garbage because there's no place to put it. Uh, there's significant uh, environmental impacts associated with that. And so I think, I think people, I mean, nobody, nobody really knows where the morgue is, right? Because we don't want to think about it, right? We, we don't like, it's, if, if, there's a, if there's a fatal car accident on a highway, you get it off the highway. Because people don't really, first of all, we don't like the traffic, but second of all, we don't really want to see it. We don't want to deal with our mortality, but we also don't want to deal with garbage. 
uh, and we don't want to deal with the fact that we need to be responsible for what we're doing. So uh, I think if we educate more and we accept responsibility for what we're doing more, and then we also have a kind of a holistic approach to it, which is how do we make our cities more environmentally friendly? How do we, all those kinds of things. It's, it's a much bigger uh, issue than I could possibly uh, contribute to, other than to say I'm willing to, to throw my uh, hat into the ring and, and, and offer my help in any way. Absolutely. Well, and what's been amazing to me in the hemp space is how many pieces of that uh, problem hemp affects and involves. You know, if we're not only, you know, creating a, a carbon footprint, a negative carbon footprint that we're able to then sell for carbon credit for our farmers, but then we're also impacting it by putting it in our products, right? And then using it for CBD and health purposes and plastics, right? We're using every piece of it and it's positively impacting our universe and our globe and our people the entire way. Um, I think that's been, there are a lot of other solutions out there and I'm not discrediting them and I'm not saying hemp is the end all be all. No, um, no, not at all. But I'll tell you the impact even from corn based plastics to uh, hemp based plastics on the earth when growing it is a substantial difference. And I think that that's what's been so eye-opening to me, understanding it's not necessarily the best solution for every every application, but definitely a something to consider, you know, and definitely something when we talk about better decisions, it's a it's something that comes to mind all the time now. I've had the pleasure during the, you know, the past little while of learning more and more about hempcrete and uh, that's an amazing material. I, 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 th I think there's a huge future, uh, environmental future for hempcrete. And uh, that's not what I do, that's not what we do, but I encourage your viewers to read up on it. There's some really cool things happening in hempcrete right now. So after you hung up yesterday, um, we had an entire conversation about this. And oh, really? cool. yeah. we talked about you know the education piece and we talked about the opportunities for uh, revitalizing sidewalks in other countries and how you know impactful that would be and how we could do that bringing it into the United States and one of the things we talked about that really like I wanted to bring up and sunk in is an opportunity to um, integrate the steam and stem entrepreneur so the arts you know and I think that one of our um, members brought up an opportunity where we could put out a contest um, so I'm just kind of talking about this. It's more idea, but I think it's something, it's a genius idea. Um, but a contest to where um, we get people to create artwork out of hemp, whether it's plastics, whether it's hempcrete, it's structural, but inside of the artwork, we're able to then, you know, show how much carbon it's sequestering, how much, um, you know, CO2 it's uh sequestering or carbon it's releasing, whatever. Um, but then draw attention to, oh my gosh, that's made out of hemp. And it could just be a you know simple brick structure made out of hemp bricks or concrete or a big plastic you know hand that's now made out of hemp. I mean, you see these all the time, but I would love to, I mean, I think that opens an entire new interest in hemp around art and a simple walking by to say, wait, that's hempcrete and wait, that's what it feels like and looks like. Where coming from me, I think it, people feel like I'm shoving it down their throat. It's all I talk about. It's I eat, breathe and sleep the value of, of hemp 
and with the intent to change the world and change the way people think about it because it really is it's life-changing and it hasn't the problems that i've been um, slapped in the face with as i've gotten into this around labor laws and supply chains and pollution and um you know the recycling uh, i i just wasn't aware of them they didn't yeah. me they were out of sight out of mind. i put my garbage inside the garbage can um i was offended if i saw somebody you know litter but I don't feel a whole lot different now just putting it in the garbage or buying, poly yeah, even polyester clothing. I mean, <laughs> that piece alone is very, very impactful. And so there's so much of this that I think we can, I mean, it's going to take an army, right? It takes a whole tribe to. Yeah. And, you know, um, things do change. And I, I have a fundamental belief in the uh, goodness of humans. And uh, we are going to try and take care of our children and our grandchildren. And I think really what we need to do <clears throat> is we need to educate people on what's actually happening, not what they think is happening. Mm -hmm. And so that's, you know, that also requires trust in the education process. And so there's, you know, that that's, I, I've seen that being affected in the last 10 years. We've really tried to um, get an understanding of what is real uh, information uh and what is biased information and so we're trying to i think i think we as a society got to figure all that out as well so lots of work to do but i think we're our hearts in the right place and we're going to try and fix it absolutely and i think it's going to take i guess that's why i started this group right is to yeah. have conversations just like this to be able to move the needle and put minds together and give people a place to have the conversation um, Agreed. as well as a place to get the information right as um I was really taken by back by that in the hemp industry as well. When I I'm new to the space, I you know within the last year and a half, and I, um, yeah, I just you assume when you walk into a store, um, you know what you're buying is safe because my food is regulated, right? So I assumed yeah. in the CBD side. I also assumed that in the textiles or in these others, right? I've something that's come up um, in some of our meetings is in our say hemp plastics or understanding how to recycle them or if they are recyclable right and that when a customer can label a product hemp plastic it doesn't have to be 100 percent hemp plastic right yeah we okay, see so some we've seen a few things out there we're kind of wondering okay what is the hemp content of that like there's there's some some things out there that we look at and say yeah i don't know whether maybe they got the essence of hemp or maybe they had the you know the idea of hemp in that product because i don't see where it is so yeah we do see stuff like that out there so um, i'd be curious if we could or just like in a food label can you label plastics with hemp how much how much is in it or how do you dispose of it or um I'd be interested in that because again, it comes back to this education piece of um, what I perceive or what I've been marketed to, you know, what's been sold to me versus what's reality. Um, and so how to, how to, I guess, mitigate that risk for people. And I'd love to see some sort of label or some sort of content to know, hey, it's 50% hemp and 50% yeah. I, 
I think that's legitimate. And I think uh, uh, the way I kind of look at it is I, I try to be, not try to be, we, we are uh, honest with our customers. Uh, this is exactly what you're getting. And the reason we try to do that is because we know, God help us, we're successful and we will be. I, I believe, firmly believe we're going to be quite successful. Um, we're going to be large enough for people to notice, right? And that's when you get tripped up. And you see, see that in, in companies all the time. You see them, you know, they, they, they uh, you know, run around and maybe they obfuscate the truth or whatever it may be. And then they get successful and then they get found out. I'm like, I don't want to get found out. I want everybody to know already what it is that we're doing so that when we're successful, it is, yep, that's, that's exactly what I told you you were going to get. That's what you're going to get. And then you go to the next stage, which is now I'm going to do this and, and, and this is how we're going to further improve it. So there's there's lots of transparency. Uh, and I think that that, again, goes back to recurring recurring revenue, long term relationships. How do, how do we build that with the people that we work with, whether it's investors, suppliers, customers uh, uh, or uh, or uh, manufacturers or whatever it may be? Well, I've seen a huge shift in consumer purchases um, and their awareness and their efforts to understand what they're buying and if it's good for the earth, you know, and when we talked earlier about saving the planet for our children and our grandchildren, I believe they're going to save it. And if we can put this in their hands, um, they will make the change and they will yeah. make it because it's slapping them in the face and they care. And so, yeah, I think even more now is our target generation around the hemp is our children. <laughs> I, would say, I, want, I want these kids to innovate. This is, we're going to see the next big creations out of hemp and hemp plastics and biofuels. I can't wait until. We literally have no idea what they're going to come up with. That's yeah. the part about it. It's the, the amount of the level of education, the amount of in, intelligence, the number of smart people in stable, you know, uh, uh, you know, uh, wealthy countries has just ex uh, exponentially grown in the last few decades. So a lot of really cool things are going to come out and we don't even know what they are yet. So uh, yeah, I want to, I want to hire some of those very smart people as well. I'm looking forward to getting to that point where we're building our team and, and really bringing really innovative products to market. I love it. I love it. Well, I've got lots of ideas the more I've gotten into this and I'm not, I'm not invested in any one hemp business, right? But where I've become more and more passionate is making that change, you know, like a lid on a bottle or a, and those are, or ketchup lids. Ketchup lids were scarce to find when pandemic happens, you know, where we yep. can grow and create sustainability. Not to mention jobs, you know, the number of jobs that when we talk about partnering and education is providing apprentice jobs back to manufacturing for our rural communities that, yeah. You know, Great ample opportunity there. Um, and if you don't get at the forefront of this shift that's happening, uh, then those jobs are going to go to countries where they are. And uh, those are those are high value jobs. Anytime you're at the at the front end of a of a, of a massive change in big industries, you want to be on that front end because uh, those are very lucrative, and that's good for countries, and that's good for economic stability, and frankly, uh, global stability. Well, and look at look at the internet. When yeah. the internet started, right? Or telephones, uh, or the dot com. <laughs> you know, everybody bought all the dot coms, and yeah, it's pretty exciting. Well, I'm yeah. super 
super grateful for having you on here. I'm excited to continue to build this relationship and make connections. Um, I will be sending projects your way. Um, yeah, and then, you know, another thing we talked about along the art side is I would love to put together um, as an association, a pitch event. You know, when we talk about kids and bringing forth um, opportunities, I'd love to collaborate with you and, you know, have a plastics and a woods company and, you know, anything out of hemp, right? Or alternatives um, for sustainability and do a pitch event and be able to partner with universities and building, you know, large building companies or contractors and i love it it's a great idea i uh that that sounds like a lot of fun to get involved I, it's again tapping into that youthful intellect and energy uh and uh and and wrapping you know we're going to do our best we're going to try hard to uh, solve this but we got to get everybody involved so i like that kind of thing yeah well and it's an education right i think outside the box and especially how are we getting people involved that don't have access to the internet that's yep. another thing I'd like to really you know. When we talk about another aha moment for me is I recently watched Hotel Rwanda. Have you seen that? No, I haven't. It's disheartening. But in 1994, Rwanda tribes turned against each other and one killed nearly right. a million, a million people in a hundred days. Right. Well, uh, I wasn't really aware of that, but the power of the radio that came with that, you know, the movie in how they made that transformation and the shift and how powerful radio is. And, you know, in, for me, where we live, internet's no big deal. I don't think twice about having a cell phone or internet, but in our rural communities where we really can make a big impact and um, change, I, you know, lean on different directions than that. And so I like the idea of thinking outside the box and providing pitch events and art festivals that are all hemp focused and you can make anything you see basically out of hemp. So pretty exciting cool well anyways thank you very much then for your time i appreciate you we'll be in touch and reach out if you need anything okay all right thanks so much i appreciate the opportunity thank you Here. see you later bye